This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Tim Floros. It was recorded at Levante Brewing Company in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Levante Brewing Company and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Levante Brewing Company in Westchester, Pennsylvania. He's Tim Floros. I'm Rich Shane, and this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Tim, so far... This is a phenomenal operation. I didn't even expect the behind the scenes of what you already have. I didn't know about it from being in your tasting room. How did Levante get started? How did all this happen for you? Sure. Well, yeah. Well, thanks. Well, first off, thanks for having me, guys. This is uh, this is great. I, I, I'm excited. Always excited to meet new people, try our beers, and share our story with them. Um, so, just want to say thank you. You're also, you know, thank as, you. as far as, of course, happy to have you. As far as the, you know, how the whole brewery operation started, it actually started with a group of us, um, myself and seven uh, business partners that I have that started the company together. Um, we all had an affinity towards uh, wine and um, had traveled traveled separately to Italy. So. Um, um, personally, I had uh, I had such an amazing experience when I studied abroad in Italy uh, for summer abroad um, during my studies at Villanova that the uh, the wine culture, the food culture, everything surrounding the culture at the small wineries there, where it was really vertically integrated. They grew the grain for the pastas that they made. They grew the grapes for the wine, the olives for their olive oil. That's what I wanted. For, you know, I wanted to be involved in something like that, but here in the U.S. So, what was there a specific region in Italy, or just throughout the whole country that you really uh, recognized all this, and it really hit you that way? Uh, it's a, a good question. I mean, so I studied it. Uh, particularly in two regions. Uh, one was La Marche region, uh, and then one was Tuscany. Uh, we went all over Italy, and I know my business partners had different experiences there as well. But uh, for me, I I went to one winery in particular. It was called, uh, I'm probably going to butcher the name because my Italian is rusty, but uh, uh, Hacienda Guerrieri, which was basically the Guerrieri house or Guerrieri estate. And that's where it was totally vertically integrated. It's in the countryside in La Marche region, outside of this small little fortress town called Urbino. Um, where I lived kind of in the hills in a dormitory with uh, with my group there. And it was so peaceful. It was so lighthearted. It just the entire experience was, was amazing. And I came back here really looking for that. Um, I didn't see it in the wine culture here. I mean, Pennsylvania's wine culture, as far as like uh, agritourism and stuff, isn't huge. Um, well, it's, it's also hard to grow grapes. The uh, climate, while exactly. there are plenty of wineries here in Pennsylvania – 
you know, it, it, it's hard for them. Um, they're doing the best they can, and I think that they've helped grow the industry over the last 20, 30 years, too. Yeah, I've been seeing great things. I mean, we have we have some partners in the wine industry locally that we've uh, we've worked with, and I found that they actually really were doing some of that stuff here. You just didn't know about it, um, especially because their size and, like you said, the, the wine market here, the agriculture tourism surrounding wine, isn't as big as a Napa, California or Tuscany. Um, but there, they, you know, I did experience that small family, you know, family-run winery feel and came back here and was like, okay, you know, just graduating college, how do I tie that into what I want to do? Like any other student who's graduating saying like, okay, I'm, I'm studying business. Uh, I don't want to go into the corporate world forever. No offense. I did do that for a while, but it just wasn't for me. Uh, so I started, I started reading up on beer. I had this experience down in Baltimore where this is the long version of the story, by the way. I, the the I long version okay. is fine. No, the long, okay, here's the thing. It, it gives an idea of how this all took shape. And yeah. everybody has this origin story. You went to yeah. Italy and you, you know, as you talked about how everything is self-sustaining as you go, was there a specific wine that stood out that you said, this is my, like, this is not, not just the winery that you went to, but did you grow to love a specific varietal or was there a variety that you love? Yeah, actually, so I was... Um, I still am a pretty much a wine novice, although I put a lot of time into it and admittedly a lot of money into it as well. But uh, when I went there, I didn't know the first thing between wines. I mean, it was red or it was white. Um, and uh, I think I'd probably get made fun of by a lot of wine aficionados, but my favorite thing there was that the table wine, everywhere you went, was better than any wine oh, you get at the top of a wine list yeah. at, your, at your run-of-the-mill place here. So. You didn't have to really know anything about wine, um, but when you went to a winery, they were so excited to share their history with you. They were so excited to share their their uh, reserva with you, which is like their oldest stuff that's been in the barrel. I mean, you were family when you when you showed up. So we wanted that here. We wanted that feeling of we're excited about we, what we do. We're passionate about what we do, um, and it's not just business as usual. Um, so that that kind of uh, it, down the road, I found people of like mind that had the same vision, and that's kind of how this all, all began. But for me, the journey in craft beer itself um, started in Baltimore. I went down with my uh, my now wife, who we were then dating. Amanda. Uh, Amanda, yes. And she, she is our director of marketing now. Um, and we went down for Halloween uh, to Fells Point, celebrating Halloween. Everyone was dressed up. At the end of the night, you know, you're grabbing some six packs um, at the beer store and going back to wherever you stay to kind of have an after party. I met a gentleman there. Came out of nowhere. I was calling Beer Yoda. <laughs> he came out of nowhere with a six pack. Of, he was three feet tall, right? exactly, and he was green, oddly enough. And okay, he spoke a little weird. Gotcha. Um, but he came out of nowhere. Beer or uh, no beer? Exactly. Right. <laughs> that is the question. Right. Um, he just handed me a six pack of Dogfish 60 Minute and said, just buy this. You won't regret it. And I'm a cottage. So I'm a guy a- in Maryland hands you a Delaware beer. Isn't that weird? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's Which weird. is fine because yeah. you got Natty <laughs> Bow. You got guy. Natty Bow like in a stone's throw away <laughs> yep. in, in Baltimore. And but I could have okay. tried any beer there, you right. know, or, or any alcoholic beverage for that matter because they sell them all in the same stores. But it was that specific beer on that specific night. Um, I didn't have the budget to buy it. It was outrageously expensive to me at the time. But I bought it, brought it back, popped the cap, smelled the hops, drank it, and I was like, wow. Literally, my mind, my my eyes just opened wide. My my mind just became this uh, playground of thoughts of, you know, like, how is this made? Uh, How is it marketed? Who are these people? What are they doing? This is amazing. And from then on, I just read, 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 brewed, brewed, brewed. So you did a lot of home brewing. Correct. Yes. Now, I, now did you guy, have yeah. any kind of connection with any homebrewer societies, any clubs, or was it just a matter that you went full tilt? 
you went online or you went to the home brew store, bought all the things that you needed and just started brewing one day. That's it. The uh, first I read a lot because I was really, um, I was really apprehensive to start a new hobby, uh, just busy time in life. And I don't want to spend a lot of money, all that kind of stuff that before you get into a hobby like that, which is expensive, um, you start to think about it. it's time consuming. I went to, uh, the homebrew store, um, in Havertown, which is brew your own beer. And it was, have you guys been there before? I don't think, I, I know I haven't. So it was, you know, I was living off campus in Villanova, went right down the road to Havertown. And there was an older gentleman there, John, who uh, looked like Mr. Rogers, looked and spoke like Mr. Rogers. Uh, still did he, alive did today. he change his like, shoes when he walked in the door? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he sat down, he changed his shoes. The nicest guy. The store smelled like, you know, ground malt. It was just like super inviting little place. And he just, Mr. Rogers comes up to me and asks me, you know, what can I do? What beer can I help you make? And I was like, well, this is awesome. And he just helped me. He gave me a recipe. He set me up with my kit. So what was the first beer there. you made? The first beer I made was an IPA. Okay. Uh, it was, you well, know, you, I think you went very strong into it, right? I, I did. Mean, I wasn't. That's what I wanted to make. That's the first beer I that had. That was what you loved. That was what you drank. This is what your mindset is. I'm making IPA because this is what I want to drink, right? Exactly, yeah. And I think a lot of people are like that. My business partners were the same way. Um, uh, one of our CFO, Mike, he um, was in the service and he studied – or he studied – he served in Germany. So he wanted to brew at the time that he started homebrewing. He wanted to brew your alt beers, your Kolsch, stuff like that at the time. Me, I was IPA. So and, – and that might show in our – uh, in the, the beers we brew today as well. But uh, yeah, so from that point on, I, I always stay connected with John at the homebrew store. I was always involved with um, the, I wasn't a member of the homebrew clubs, but I always kind of popped my head in and stayed involved and tried to learn. And of course, the internet was super helpful um, for, you know, learning how to brew different styles, Beersmith, the awesome software that we still use to this day, you know, kind of the, it, there were um, sample recipes in there. There are articles every month that come out. So I stayed really plugged in, um, in maybe an unconventional way, but, uh, the homebrew store was, was my place. So how long was it that you were homebrewing, kind of honing your palate, honing your craft for doing the, the, that side of things before everybody, as far as the partners and you came together and say, I think we've got something, let's make this a business. I think it was a long time because I think everyone, um, you know, everyone's lives are kind of like on parallel tracks at this time. You know, you've got eight guys all living separate lives. Most of us don't even know each other. Um, we're all brewing. We're all doing business or, you know, there are physicians, there are real estate agents, um, all doing their own thing, but passionate about beer at the same time. I was personally passionate about business and then, uh, you know, subsequently became passionate about beer. So I knew I wanted to do that. Um, I probably wrote, you know, 30 business plans while in business school and even out. But it was it was from 2008, you know, uh, what's fall of 2008 when I had that Dogfish 60 Minute until um, probably 2011 that uh, the business plan for this brewery was the um, fall of 2011. The, the business plan was put together, presented to, you know, partners, investors, and then over the next uh, few years, I think we started in 2015 officially. So uh, then it was all, it was all crazy. So you're talking seven years from top, you know, popping the first top of your dogfish. Yeah. That's what I always think about that when people see what they enter into, they think one day you just opened up and it was just, Hey, we're, we're, we're brewing beer and this is what it is. And yeah. nothing, we, what went into get here? You're talking seven years before yep. You fired up and, and, and started brewing, right? 
Yeah, and I, everyone's story is a little different, but I personally had a lot to learn. I had, I had to learn about the, how business actually worked, you know, not just in a school setting. Uh, in the entrepreneurship program there at Villanova, we, we, I was almost said Vanillanova because <laughs> we used to call it that. Right. Like, at Villanova, um, the entrepreneurship program there was pretty intense. You had to pitch your idea to, an, to a group of investors. You had to get their investment. You had to start the business uh, and you had to run it. And that was a really good kind of proving ground um, for a young entrepreneur. But going into the real world, I learned pretty quickly, I don't, A, I don't have any money. Uh, B, I don't have any experience. Um, and then it happened to be, I think one of the biggest things that, you know, I don't talk about much, but it happened to be uh, 2008, 2009, which was so one of the... So the whole bubble, the financial crisis and everything's going on where money's not as accessible as it had been the years prior or even where it is today. Yeah. And, uh, and along with money not being accessible, jobs weren't accessible. So I worked retail um, and I, I kind of weaseled my way into the corporate world, uh, into the mortgage industry, which was, which was going through huge changes um, and learned about business and finance more there. And uh, that's where, you know, I had an income and I had a business education uh, in the real world that I could start writing a business plan. Like I said, most of them got torn up, threw in the trash. They were pretty <laughs> bad. But one day I just gathered enough uh, enough strength up to, you know, once the business plan I thought was completed, uh, to go talk to someone about it and ask them, actually ask for money. That was the toughest part. Was that, was that something <laughs> just to overcome? Was it an ego thing? Was it just the the growing the courage to do that? What was that like for you just to step yeah. in and say to somebody, I had this idea. This is my business plan. Business plan. I need money. What was that like for you? Yeah, you know, I'm not a salesman. I never was a salesman. I do enjoy sharing with people. Um, and, you know, I know that that's like sales, but not the same thing. So I will, and you met Rich Laver. Yeah. He's a salesman. Oh, yeah. A genius. He's a great character. I, and I he love is. the time we spent and talked to him. He was great. He is like, I was the opposite of him. Uh, he can, uh, and he actually taught me in our partnership together. He's like, if you don't ask, you don't get. And that's one thing, just like you said, I think it was a self-confidence thing. I think it was also like I trusted my ability to make beer. I trusted my ability to, uh, you know, to run you know, or start a fledgling business. But I really didn't know the first thing about running a huge operation. I couldn't guarantee the financials were going to work out. Uh, yeah, and it was tough to ask people for that was a significant amount of money, you know, where, you know, this place to build this place was very expensive. So, um, and you know, it didn't start that way. It was a little bit over time, but I think it's a, it's very daunting task to, uh, as a young person getting, you know, young professional go ask, you know, very experienced people for their money. Um, they ask a lot of questions. They put you on the spot and it was, uh, and if they're going to do business with you, you know, for life, which is what this, you know, proposition was, they want to make sure you know what you're doing. So I had a lot of uh, revisions even back then, you know, oh, wow, that that's not going to work. This isn't going to work. So, but through that whole thing, met the right people. The people who are going to answer your questions, they're going to help you through it. Those are the people that you you do business together with. Um, so that's where our CFO, Mike DeThomas, came from. Um, that's where Rich Laver came from, who is, you know, master of sales and so on and so forth. We have so many people that, that uh, own the company that are really know what they're doing. I feel you have a really interesting story because really what the vision is and seeing the operation here, you had this larger vision in mind even before you pushed your first beer across the counter. Yeah. You knew what your product was. You knew what the quality was. You knew probably by your friends and people that knew you who tasted it, you knew you had something, but the vision was bigger 
than just opening up a storefront or opening up and saying, "Hey, we're just we're just starting a little craft brewery." Yeah, the you know most most breweries might start saying like, "Hey, we're going to be this brew pub model, or we're going to be a production brewer, this is to that." We were we actually said, "Hey, we're going to be a successful, highly sought after, um, you know, great brewery." And then how do we do that? You know, so from there we we. There were revisions of our plan on where you know how much of how much of our business is going to be focused towards production, packaging, sending out to bars. How much is going to be focused on a tap room? And what we ended up, uh, you know, there were law changes at the time, but we ended up finding out that you know our tasting room was going to be our dire- and actually Sam Calagione from Dogfish had you know said this many many times like that the connection with the customer in your tasting room or your tap room is what grows your brand and that's how you do your R&D and that's how you grow your business into a, a larger Yeah, your, you know, your packaging success. will do so much to get somebody that hasn't had your beer to select it off the shelf. Exactly, yep. But if you grow your following and you grow your brand, very much like when we talked earlier before the podcast about Walt Disney World, Walt yes, Disney yep. model. You know, it's that, you know, if you go to Disney World, I mean, is it, if they get you as a kid – you're hooked for life. Yeah. Unless it's a really love, horrible yeah. experience. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, what kid know. doesn't love Disney, right. right? So you're doing the same thing. We even talked about how, how that Disney idea and, and the things you learned, how that transfers in your business. And that's that's great advice that you understood that, hey, yeah. that connection with your customer, if you, if you please the customer, if you delight the customer, you're going to have a customer for life because of what yeah. you're serving them across the bar. Yeah, and most importantly to us, what we found out was these people who came to support us became our friends. I mean, there were uh, there all kinds of characters that walked through the door, and, and it became cheers. You know, it became this environment. It was it was uh, everyone's third place. All of us that worked here was your third place. Everyone who came in, you know, you've got home, you've got work, and you had Levante, um, and that's what really grew um, our support base, and that's what grew us into you know. You know, fast forward years later, you know, now you can be, you can have your beer on the shelves at a place, you know, you can see your tap handle at a bar. Um, and yeah, it was, it's, it was all people. Um, and it was friendships that did that. And it was people feeling welcomed and part of something that did it. So I'm really glad we did that. If we didn't do that, we would just be just a brewery, right. you know, the, a place with tanks with beer in it. And I mean, that's awesome enough, but it's just not quite, uh, it's just not quite there. For Levante. Us. Talk Levante. about the name. So, uh, so we talked a little bit about the Italian kind of uh, inspiration behind Levante. So, that being our our kind of total inspiration between all the partners who started Levante, uh, we were looking for, for lack of a better term, a cool Italian word. Okay. Um, I don't remember exactly how, but the the name Levante came up, and it means uh, to rise or to elevate. So um, there's a, a place called the Riviera di Levante, uh, which is like uh, you know, northwestern Italy, and um, that area there is kind of like um, if you know like the, the uh, Riviera in uh, France, like that's kind of their version. So it's uh, basically the coast of the sun where the sun rises. So the, it was very uh, glorious, kind of like that that feeling of that name. So we we're like, you know what? What does it tell us about ourselves? We always want to elevate our craft. So that's why we chose the Italian word uh, for to elevate. And uh, we, um, funny enough, we weren't really we weren't really even sure about it. After we chose it, we were like, you know, is this going to hold up as a brand? It's an Italian word. We always look to Lagunitas. Like, it's very hard to pronounce. You know, right. it's, it starts with an L. It's the same thing, right? Okay. Um, and I was like, you know what? It will. Lagunitas did. We will too. And um, we had a... Uh, and there was an exchange student from Columbia that came in and he approached us about 
doing a mural for our tap room, which wasn't even open yet. But we said, you know what? Sure, go ahead. We need we need to have this big wall. We need something that like tells our customers something about us up on the wall. So he picked out Elevate Your Craft, uh, you know, being, you know, being Hispanic and have, you know, speaking Spanish and having that same connection with the word uh, Levante. It's very similar in Spanish as well. He was like, I want to use Elevate Your Craft. He's like, tell me more about this. And he, in Spanish, used, it in, I think he spoke English, but Spanish was better. Uh, in Spanish, he told a story about how the, it's essentially our version of a rising tide rises all ships. Right. Um, so that was his kind of take on it. So he painted this beautiful mural and ever since, that's been kind of our motto and our mission uh, to elevate our craft and uh, coincidentally also to uh, elevate our community. So, Take us back to opening day for you. What was that like after you'd had – you had spent seven years home brewing and working on building this team and this structure and this vision? What was day one when you opened the doors and people started coming into your tap room and – You know, it was – it's – it's uh, it was not as glorious as you think, but also very amazing um, because there was actually two opening days. Uh, one was when so one was essentially when we were able to uh, brew some beer on a small pilot batch system here um, at our brewery in Westchester. We had signed the lease. You know, we had uh, our big equipment was coming in, but we were brewing on our pilot system, solidifying our recipes and selling growlers and little taster glasses of beer. At the time it was illegal in Pennsylvania to sell a pint of beer or to actually sell beer for consumption on your premises. So we sold a five ounce glass for eight or $9. Don't tell the, the law all this. Well, we just we, did. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's okay now. Um, we sold a glass and legally, you were allowed to get three four-ounce samples. So we sold the glass for $8, and then we right. gave the you, people you their You sold samples. the souvenir glass. And, and then, then we gave the people their legal allotment of samples. Gotcha. Um, and then you could buy a growler or a keg or what have you um, right out the door. So that was, you know, for months, we did just kind of pop-ups on Saturdays. Like, hey, we're here. We're selling growlers. And that's where we got our initial following from. But then uh, one day in, I think it was, uh, I think it was like a, uh, either June or August. We always switch the date of our anniversary because of the weather. Uh, but it was, I think it was a day in June. Um, we officially opened up the doors to, um, to our tap room. Everything was done. You could have a pint uh, on site. You can grab a growler to go or a keg. And a thousand people showed up. Wow. And it was the most amazing experience. How many were you expecting? Maybe 200 people. Okay. If, if we were lucky, I thought that we might have 200 people. We brewed, in preparation for our first few few months of business, we brewed so much on our little pilot system. We, we didn't have access quite yet to our, um, to our production system. So we brewed on a one-barrel system like 18 times. Actually, Paul and I, who you just met coming in, he's our director of HR now. Him and I brewed so much on that thing, we were dead. So come opening day, we're like, okay, we'll sell a couple kegs this day and we'll have enough for the next few weeks or months. Cleaned out the first day. No beer. Uh, we so actually had to shut down. Yeah, I'm like, what's the conversation <laughs> after that? You and Paul are looking at each other going, I guess we need a bigger boat. Yeah, know? we all got together. I mean, you had Mike, who's our CFO. Uh, you had Rich there as well. We all, uh, Mike was in the fridge filling growlers. Um you know, in you know, thirty-eight degree fridge all day. Rich was, I think, he was greeting people and selling merchandise for us. Uh, and then I, you know, I was right there at the bar, which was actually really just at the time, um, you know, a bar and no seats <laughs> essentially. So, uh, but yeah, we all talked and we we're like, wow, we really need to get that production system running. 
and learn how to brew like real brewers. And how many days before after that day did you open back up? How how many days of production did you go through before you could open back up again? So it took uh, – we got right on it. It took a few weeks, like two or three weeks to get more beer. We didn't have that much variety admittedly. Wow. But um, – and the beer wasn't that great because on the small system, we had it really dialed in. It was controlled. It was delicious. We had brewed on that for a very long time. On the 15-barrel system, it's not just multiplying everything, just like baking. You can't just take the flour and multiply it by 15, and, you know, there you go. That's your beer. So it took six months, I think, to hone that in. You know, we started selling kegs out to restaurants who to this day won't buy our beer because they remember that it was bad at first, even though now, you know, it's great. Right. So So it's overcoming that that first impression for them. At this point, they really need to get on the ball. Well, by now you should think, but uh, but yeah, and we didn't have a choice. If you didn't sell beer, you know, you weren't going to hang around much longer. So we had to. If a beer was remotely good, we had to sell it. Now we'll dump a whole batch of beer if it's not great. Um, even our pilot batches, which we'll put through uh, right, you know, on tap usually when you know, pre-COVID and post-COVID. Uh, but uh, now we fill crowlers and sell them through our e-commerce business. Um, We'll just do two barrels at a time, you know, four kegs, and uh, but we won't put out something that we haven't fully uh, quality controlled and isn't, you know, doesn't pass unanimously. How's the so. experience been for you picking out your um, your resources, your grains, your hops, your yeast? What's that process been? Because you talked about going from a pilot system to a yeah. larger production. You know, what's that been like for you as as as, produ- as a producer of beer and? Growing as a brewery. Well, when you when you brew on such a small system like the one barrel system, you it's a glorified homebrew system. Um, we didn't think of it that way at the time, but it really is. I mean, you're buying. I mean, I was making last minute orders uh, from the homebrew shop in Havertown or online. Uh, you know, from an online store that had quick shipping. Uh, so I'd say, oh, okay, I need a pound of citra hops, or I need this or that. So it was very last minute, and it was very, and it was so it was so small that it was manageable. But you get to now. I mean, fast forward to now, there was everything in between, but you have supplier agreements three to five years out. Um, you have aluminum shortages like we're going through right now that affect, you know, 12-ounce cans, 16-ounce cans, and are you going to be able to package your product in three months? Um, so you really need to forecast, invest, you know, money and time in your um, in your supplier relationships. And that goes for we have really, really tight relationships with our hop suppliers, um, you know, with our grain suppliers, you name it, even cardboard boxes. You know, it's all important. Yeah, we saw the whole delivery coming in today. I yeah, mean, you're, you're talking about a, a huge tractor trailer of this being delivered now. That, I'm sure that first experience, you didn't have the vision of seeing a tractor trailer pull up with a no. I mean, the forklift. Even the first box order that we went through was pretty cool. You know, like we used to have a mobile canner that came in. They brought the boxes. They brought the cans. All that kind of stuff. It was taken care of for you. Now we've got to forecast how many boxes we need in any given time um, and work on pricing and, you know, lead lead times and all that. Our first order, I think we were talking about, okay, how do we get it down to one pallet? I think that was almost a full truckload that just came in today. It was, so yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it just – and I uh, – to be fair uh, to my colleagues, I don't handle any of that anymore. So we have very, very talented people handling our supply chain uh, management, and it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. You really have a great structure. I mean, I, I see that. I mean, we're in the corporate center, the, the corporate yeah. offices, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and there are people here working and, and, and responsible for things like HR and marketing and production. From, from a standpoint, do you, you know, 
What has been the most exciting part of the growth process for you? Has it been the introduction of being able to use maybe some hops that you wouldn't have access to or some grains that, you know, somebody wouldn't have given, you know, what, the relationships that you're making, the partnerships, what, what's been some of the, 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 the sides of things that is really exciting for you right now? It's, uh, so it's, that's an interesting thought. I mean, I, everyone's different, but I personally love new product development. That's why I started brewing. Um, that's, I would, you know, still maintain the, uh, the title of brewmaster to this day, but really what I do is I think of new products to come out with. Um, so, if it's a if it's a new ingredient for a beer that I see that inspires me, you know, I'll get with the guys in the brew house and we'll put together a plan for that. Uh, if it's the seltzer, you know, which we've been working on for years now, even before seltzer was super popular, um, you know, that was something I was heavily involved in, kind of brewing concoctions in the um, in the lab, and then you know, working with our production team to scale it up. So that's what's you know my most favorite thing to do is is you know come up with new products, but. Um, it's business too. I mean, it's uh, it's signing a distribution deal that's great for the company that will you know grow the brand. Or recently, what we've had during the whole COVID crisis is we did not sell our cans anywhere but our retail facilities that were owned by us. We only had two, um, so we actually started learning. You know, how do you get into grocery stores and how do you get into beer distributorships and how do you manage those relationships? Uh, how does the beer not get old on the shelf? You know, what what are what are the quality concerns with that? Uh, so that interests me too. But talk about. I mean, you mentioned COVID. We're in the midst of still. We're here in Pennsylvania. You know, the it seems like what comes down from the governor's office may change on a day to day or week to week basis. You can yeah. open. You can't open. You can sell food as long as somebody eats, and then they define what a meal is. Who knows? Yeah. Um, how's talk about COVID and how that's uh, impacted you know Levante? Well, in short, it was. It's just been very stressful. Uh, I think that everyone's affected. There's not a single person that's uh, not infected, uh, not affected. <laughs> there's a lot of people not infected. infected. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's a, there's a single business that's unaffected, except for maybe the insurance industry, because they don't. This, they, you know, the insurance doesn't really cover COVID, right? So that's the first thing I did was I went to our insurance agent and I said. Um, you know, are we covered for loss of business and all this stuff? No, it's a pandemic. Oh shit! I can curse, right? Is that yeah, okay? You okay. <laughs> so, uh, but that—that that was my thought. I was like, "We're screwed," um, and it was really, really scary because um, half of our business was draft and, and went out to bars and restaurants, which are places people have—they're—they're they're closed now. You know, people have to go there and patronize those places, or we don't get any money, um, and we can't pay our employees and feed our kids. Um, and then our the other half of our business was our uh, our tap rooms, which we had just we just opened at the end of February a uh, new beer garden in Chester Springs, and we put so much time and energy, effort, love into it, and had to close it down. And that was one of the most stressful things I've ever been through. Uh, it, every day, like you said, an order would come down from the governor's office, and we didn't know if we were even going to be able to produce beer let alone sell it. So eventually we got to the point where we were reasonably sure and then sure that we could produce beer. That was legal. We could have our, our people here uh, at the brewery. And then from there it went, okay, well, we are so lucky. A year prior, we saved up enough money and purchased a canning line and put together a packaging team and worked out all those kinks. And then on top of that, we're also so lucky that we put together um, and did all the legal research and um, you know all the website building and all that to put together a direct-to-consumer shipping service in Pennsylvania. Um, and those were all very difficult things that were already done. That if we hadn't have done them, I don't think... You had no idea. I mean, again, 
the planning side of me, you, you very much in, in our interactions, you're a planner. You sure, structure sure. things. You see things in the future. Yeah. But you had no idea what you were planning for. You were just yeah. looking to grow and build your business. You had no idea that planning would have a specific function as we hit t- 2020. Yeah, you get – as a business owner, you get these – you get these inklings, these gut feelings, and you can back them up with data sometimes, and sometimes you can't. Um, and e-commerce and the internet, I mean, no brainer. I mean, look at how look at how successful Amazon is. And one day they'll rule everything. Maybe, I don't know, there's a bunch of court cases going on right now about that. But uh, I looked at it and I was like, why can't a brewery be online? Uh, there's Tavor, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with. They send beer all across the country from different breweries, and we had been working with them extremely successful, great service. Um, they ship beer right to your door. Why can't we do that? Uh, so we started digging into the law and just found out you actually can. Everyone thought it was illegal. They thought that brewers because couldn't do it. Because somebody told them it was illegal and that it was like whisper down the lane. You yeah. can't do it. It's illegal. I think it, it just – it was very clearly okay to do but just no one did it. So no one thought it was okay to do. Um, so we – it was back in January of – January, February of 2019 that we started this and there were articles that people wrote about – us doing this and is it legal and you know the big distributors i won't name them but they they're the tidehouse distributors started looking into us with their attorneys and uh everyone oh not everyone but a lot of people in the beer distribution business got very upset with us for doing it they thought that we were gonna you know there was this whole model shift and we were doing it you know we were taking away business from them and we assured them that this is this is not going to be our full model we're just changing with the times and, uh, and, you know, trying to diversify our business. So they, uh, that eventually all calmed down and we got all of our friendships back, but it, it was a tough time and we went through it. We built this model and it was like reasonably successful. It was nothing crazy until COVID hit. And then it was, wow, we really depend on this a hundred percent. So that's what, again, another long answer to your question, no, that's but um, uh, that's, I think one of my, some of my worst business memories and some of my, uh, you know, I guess happiest or most thankful memories will be this pandemic crisis because you cannot buy that type of training. You can't learn that in any business school. You can't learn that from any mentor. Nothing. No one can tell you how to deal with that. Um, so here we are. We're just so much, so much more wise for, for it. We lost a lot of money, but that's okay. It's it's just money. (laughs) I believe, I believe one specific thing is you touched, you touched on just now is that, even if you come up with the wildest, craziest idea right now, you never know that that could come to fruition. And it might save your ass. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I think what it talks about is as a business person and as somebody as you touched on, you have families relying on you um, yeah. and, your, and your business and your growth. Even if it's a crazy idea, don't discount it as much. Look into it and decide if this is something that's doable. Yeah. Because – if I would have told you January 1, 2020, that on March 16th, March 17th, we're going to shut you down and we don't have any answers as to how or when you're going to get back into business, you probably wouldn't have believed me. No. And uh, the what's like really just crazy about the whole thing is you uh, – like you said, planning. You know, the importance of planning. As humans, we, we get comfortable. And, you know, you get, you get to a plateau. We just opened our second retail location. It was going very well. We're super excited about that. It would have been really easy to get caught up in that moment. Um, but at the time in, uh, in late February, we had been doing business 
in China. We're, okay. We were shipping some um, some seltzer and some beer over to China. We had some really good contacts there through our county, believe it or not. There were sister counties um, in China that we had. So we started you know, for a couple years kind of talking with Chinese distributors. A couple years later, we made some of our own contacts, panned out, and we started sending beer. Um, so Mike, our CFO, is over in China as the whole pandemic is unfolding. Oh, wow. Okay. Right before it. Right before it. He's in Shanghai. This is in who uh, the um, – you know, Started in Hubei province. Um, So he comes back and says, listen, everyone's sick over there. I had to quarantine to come back. Um, You know, one of our other business partners, uh, not business partner, but business associates um, got sick over there, had to quarantine. So he said, it's really bad over there. And the government's really cracking down on everything, closing everything down. So we got together and on you know a big board like this in this room put together a business continuity plan and i think that we had a head start on a lot of companies um and aside from the the business ventures that we'd already gone into we started talking about safety we started uh you know going through like the fema disaster plan on what happens if you you know it's all boring stuff but uh what happens if you lose people what happens if there's a highly infectious disease that comes around and uh i remember people walking by me in the hallway here even my even my wife just saying like what are you guys doing we're so busy right now and you're spending hours planning on a disaster and uh my friends you know friends outside of work would kind of make fun of us as well like you guys are planning for you guys are preppers sure enough like <laughs> we used every little bit of what we planned i think that's um, foresight i feel like i mean yeah. it was e- it would have been very easy to say that's china that's over there that's them it's not here because that's what a lot of people said yeah. We've never really had that impact of a – this is the first time everybody in the world is going through the same thing at the same time. Yet yeah. somebody over there in China saying, this is what I see. You guys better start planning for this because this yeah. is coming. Be ready. Yeah, and that doesn't that doesn't mean that you really know what you're going to do from a business perspective. Right. It, just, it just means like but you how do we – you have conversations and yeah. you have discussions to where let's come up with some sort of outside-the-box plan in case we need to facilitate this, right? Yeah, and you guys – like if this was months ago, you probably would have come in and laughed. But uh, a lot of the boxes out there in our employee rec area are um, air mattresses, ramen, stuff like that because we were planning to have a couple brewers live here um, you know, on site. Because we thought that you might not be able to travel, so it was it was a little weird. It was it was definitely doomsday Again, prepping. You know I'm, what? I'm you, not going to lie. You come up with the wildest <laughs> ideas, but maybe that's what would have been needed for you to keep in business. And then you know you have everybody in Pennsylvania clamoring. I need a beer. I want a beer. Where do I get some beer? You have it. I miss Levante. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no, we're still in business. We can still pr- produce it. Yeah. And thank God we didn't have to do that. I mean, thank God we didn't have to have a couple of our brewing team live here and the rest be out of work. Um, that would be terrible. But it's very, very close to happening. The worst worst time, uh, you know, for me as a leader and business owner, for it was to get on the phone and um, lay off, you know, 50 people. That's hard. Yeah. That's I, hard. I, I worked tirelessly to bring them back and it was only about two to three weeks before we brought nearly everybody back. That's great. With the exception of, of course, you know, bartenders at our facilities that we don't have a bar. We brought a lot of people back, but not every single, um, you know, retail um part-time retail person. So uh, I consider it a big win to bring back all your full-time people, all the people that that's their primary source of income to feed their family and, uh, you know, pay their bills. Uh, so that's a big deal. So let's talk about some of your beers. You brought out a number of let's them today. It. Now, you said that 
Which was your favorite? Or so my favorite, and it's always if you ever ask a brewer what's their favorite beer, right. it's like asking them what their favorite kid. It's it's sort of like what's in the glass, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What's in the can exactly. or growler that I'm drinking now? <laughs> you know, they all have favorite ones, but they'll never say it. But this one right now, uh, Escalante Mexican style lager, is okay. my and you picked the right one to start with. I think this is my favorite beer. For a few reasons. One, it's summer. And like you said, it's what's in the glass right now. But also, it's just so well-rounded and clean and inviting, I guess, what the world the word would be. And I think the secret to that is uh, corn, actually. Uh, so that, you know, a lot of – you'll see the Super Bowl, Super Bowl commercials like, oh, this brewery puts rice and corn into their beer. Uh, we've always been against it. We poo-pooed it. And then we finally took uh, real corn. You know, it's not like – ground up corn substitute but we finally took barley and corn together and it created all the same flavor that you would get in your favorite pilsner with less body and that's less less filling so uh but you get a little bit of sweetness from that corn that's awesome so can i pour some for you yeah, guys here yeah all right. no no more pouring <laughs> no so what was it that took you so long to come off of the it's corn we don't want to use it idea you know it's uh this actually this beer uh, came out of a I don't know how much you want there. That's fine. This came out of an experimental process. We the pilot system that I told you about. We kept using that. We never really stopped using it. Um, and instead of brewing on that as our primary system, we had teams of brewers set up that would compete against each other, and they would come up with a new recipe and they would brew a beer, and we'd QAQC it. If it was good enough to go on tap, which most of them were. It would go on tap and we see how it did. See its on tap rating, see how quickly it sold, uh, customer comments face to face and online. And uh, this one did a really good job and it was more so an internal favorite, you know, a brewer favorite. And we were like, we never want to get rid of this beer. So cheers, guys. Cheers to you. My favorite, and I will admit, I put a lime in this. <laughs> so, it's, no, I mean, I, I can see why this is your favorite beer. This is this is delicious, and it does have some body to it. The interesting thing is when you first poured it, the, the first thing that comes out is is you do get this yeast in the nose, but that that settles down a little bit, and yeah. then you start to get the grains and the as, as you said, what follows through it. Yeah, and we use a traditional um, lager yeast in this. I, I believe it's the Pilsner Urquell strain of lager yeast, which is one of my favorite brewers, breweries and beers in the world. Uh, so that is a great base. And we also have another Pilsner, Beardy Levante, which is our kind of continental European style Pilsner with an Italian twist. But um, this beer here, very uh, Mexican inspired. You know, if you, uh, you find yourself in the summer on a beach somewhere drinking, I won't say Corona because that's not really the beer to talk about right now, but uh, you know, like uh, I would say uh, I like Pacifico. That's one of my favorite um, kind of Mexican style lagers. This reminds me of that, but a little bit more bold, a little bit more flavor. A little bit, little bit of the sweetness I think comes out in the end and that could be attributed more towards that corn or maybe some of the other other ingredients that you're also incorporating in there. Yeah, and I mean, you're. Uh, it's very, when you get to a beer like this, it's very hard to hide like any imperfections or anything like that. So fermentation is super important um, because there's not like an IPA. You can't. There's not a ton of dry hopping in it. There's not a ton. There's not fruit in it or anything like that. It's just barley, corn, water, yeast. I mean, that's, that's it. it. That's it. <laughs> so, uh, so it's real. The fermentation is really important. This beer takes uh, a little over three weeks, in, uh, as opposed to two weeks for our ales, and. Um, it's also plate filtered too because we want to make sure – we've done Keller Pilsners and Lagers before that aren't filtered, nice and cloudy. But this one we feel like is best represented clean, crisp, and clear. And uh, 
Yeah, you'd think, uh, I mean, you think looking at it, oh, it's Mexican-style lager. It's not really sexy, but I'll drink this any day. Over, but I, I think that's anything. the thing, Tim, that it, it becomes, it's not about, it, 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 you're a craft. You, yep. you know, yep. this is this is something you've taken the time to work on and, and really hone in on. So it's not like saying, well, this is a lager, it's not sexy. You've made this what I think we've... We've had all these different beers over time, lagers, pilsners, I mean, things that have been mass produced by larger breweries. Yeah. And that is what we've been accustomed to drinking. That's what you think when you think right. of lager, yeah. And then you come along and, and other craft brewers come along and you say, well, hold on a second. This is not dad's beer, mom's beer. This is this is what this should taste like. Yeah. And it sets you, you rise up. Exactly. Right? And, and, You're and, rising up that initial, hey, this is a lager, it's a pilsner. Don't poo-poo it because now you've taken that to another level. Yeah, and that's that's the whole point to us. Like we want to brew – in the in the beginning of everything, it, it was just we want to brew all styles really well and we want to have something for everyone. Now that's a heavily IPA-dominated um, you know, scene and we happen to really love and be good at, in my opinion, IPAs. So, but we get bored of them. I want to go back to – I'm sitting on a beach drinking red stripe. You know, how could I take red stripe and, and elevate it, make it awesome? You know, what, what would be better drinking this, in my opinion, on the beach? So, <laughs> so, so I, I hate to sound like full of ourselves here. This wasn't my recipe. Uh, it was uh, actually, I believe this was a, who's now our lead brewer um, and also our, um, our packaging manager were on the team that came up with this recipe. So I was like, wow, guys. I like your Pilsner better than mine, so we're going with I this. love the – you know, yeah. in listening to what you're saying, I love the competition aspect of it, but I love the collaboration and creativity aspect of it. Hey, yeah. you do yours. You do yours. You do – we'll all come together. We'll see what the public thinks about it and then let the chips fall where they may. Let it settle yeah. out. And you as the head brewer, the master brewer here, could be that, hey, I deem this. This is what we're going to brew. These are my recipes. Fall in line, but I think it's smart of you to say, I want to bring everybody in, as you said. Yeah, yeah. All, all The rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. If you bring everybody in to help you, you become more successful. Well, to be fair, I used to be that guy. Oh, okay. Uh, I Good. did. I so used what, to be... what changed for you? What was that shift where you said, I'm willing to allow other people to have that creative aspect to what, what's happening here? What changed for me was realizing two things. One, our potential. And then two, we had so much more potential beyond what I could do or what I could create. And then two was depending on people. You know, like you you train as – a, as a brewmaster, you train brewers and you think, oh, I trained you. and You're going to brew what I want you to brew. That's what holds breweries back. What actually helps breweries grow is to say, okay, now you take the reins. You jump off my shoulders. I'm going to go off. I'm going to do this and you make it better. And that's where our head brewer right now, Greg Harris, way better brewer than I am. Like hundred times better brewer than I am. I think I come up with some great ideas still every once in a while. But the smartest thing that I ever did was hand the rope, you know, hand the the reins to him and go on and move and work on the business, you know, and not in it. So, but I actually, uh, Greg and I got that idea from Aslan Brewing down in uh, down in Herndon, Virginia, right okay. outside of DC. They had something called. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm gonna mess up what their system. Uh, protege system or something like that uh, they're going to kill me for not remembering but uh they had a small system too they did the same thing and their brewers actually got to it didn't work out the model for us but their brewers actually ran their own small business 
off of that system and they got like a portion of the proceeds from each batch um and we were like wow how can we like fit that into our business model here but use it as like a training mechanism for our brewer so it worked and we stole the idea from them. <laughs> I'm sure that they don't care. So. No, why would they? But, I mean, I think that's flattering that you would see so much of that. You mentioned IPAs. You guys need more. So, I have more. No, let's, uh, <laughs> you mentioned, let's try your IPA because I know that you said that um, that is that you know area where you love and enjoy. Yes. Yeah, so what I have here is our cloudy and cumbersome New England style IPA. When we started, New England style IPA didn't exist as far as I know. Um, so really – when it came this less <laughs> really when it came down to this style this was a mistake for us uh, we we saw people so grow. cloudy and cumbersome was a mistake for you cloudy and cumbersome was a mistake uh, we'll call it a we'll call it a, a a happy accident right okay um we actually were brewing a beer for to be barrel aged in rum barrels. So we uh, we were very into barrel aging at the time. When I take you through the brew, you'll see there's there's quite a few barrels in there still to this day. Um, we got really excited about these rum barrels that we got uh, from the Caribbean. They just arrived. We're like, can we put a nice light beer in there and kind of make a cocktail inspired beer from this? So it was Greg's idea originally to say, okay, the cocktail should be something like a dark and stormy. Uh, which is, you know, the variation cloudy and cumbersome where that name came from. So we made essentially a dark and stormy. There was a kefir lime leaf. There was ginger. And um, the one cool thing we did about this is after it was in the barrel for about a month, we took it out and we put it in a steel tank and we dry hopped it, which we didn't know at the time, but that's what a New England IPA is. You okay. get, you, you have a, you have a lighter kind of cloudy, um, you know, cloudy base that's got a little bit more body to it, usually with oats or wheat. But then you don't put a lot of hops in the boil, so it doesn't really derive a lot of bitterness from the hops. So you put the hops and you load the hops in the fermenter during dry hopping or in Whirlpool as well, uh, which I'm sure you guys are already familiar with. But but here's the thing, the, and this is the beauty of it. It's also about learning stuff that we've never heard before. You're doing something that maybe somebody on the podcast hasn't heard about. And let's face it. Sure. I may not know the full extent of what a New England IPA is. And, and, and you, Who does? Right. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. We're all learning. Yep. I mean, it, this, Tim, as far as I'm concerned, this goes to the humility that you talked about about giving somebody else an opportunity to yep. take over the reins brewing and recognizing their talents. I look at it this way. I, I just – Dawn and I, this is our fermented adventure. We get to yeah, enjoy the, the labor of love and the craft of what somebody else is doing. I'm never going to propose I know everything because I don't. And learning what kind something of world would that be, right? Right. Learning something for me, learning something for me, and, and and being able to say, well, now we better understand that. Somebody listening to the podcast and they say, well, I, I know there's, a, I, I've never been, I don't want to ask because somebody's going to laugh at me if I ask what a New England IPA style or how it how it gets how it gets fermented or brewed or what the process is. So I would oh, yeah. never assume that. Well, it's funny you say that because we when we started. Brewing New England IPAs, even when we started brewing, there were breweries out there who, you know, for lack of a better term, were a bit pretentious, and they would they, you couldn't learn from them. You know, we came from school of home brewing and reading and learning, you know, through happy accidents, and you know, you couldn't go into a brewery like that and you know really experience and learn how they do things. Here, we'll tell you everything. We don't we don't really care. You know, you go off and try to replicate it if you want. I mean, it's Westchester's water. That's the secret. Uh, <laughs> But uh, so yeah, this, and this beer was very much an accident. And but it's not just, just the water; around. it's the yeast you choose, it's the strain of hops you choose. It, it is. I mean, just because somebody's making a cake down the street doesn't mean you can replicate the same cake. 
it's, that's why it's very only, hard. All these yeah. bourbon distilleries all over Kentucky and Pennsylvania and Tennessee. That's a good point. They're yeah. all they're all making fifty one percent corn, but it's different bourbon. Yeah, barrels and like I said, you barrel age this, you could have a different character coming off a barrel. Whatever rum you use, maybe it's a spice, you know, whatever they're doing in the barrel, yeah. that, that gives a whole different flavor profile. Yeah, and, and, uh, and I joke about the water, but it, it is one of the things that really sets us apart. Um, and it's also how what you do with the water. It's also what you do with your process. It's where was your equipment made? You know, our, our initial equipment was made in China. Very different from equipment made here in the U.S. Um, very different from German brewing equipment. I mean, the, what you mash in at on, you know, your, your, our Chinese system could be 10 degrees different than, uh, you know, a high-end German system built for mass production of lagers. And uh, I've only recently learned that as we try to replicate some of these core brands at other breweries so we can free up space here at the brewery to brew new stuff So all you're the time. consigning some of your recipes, some of your beers yep. now to other breweries – Freeing up space to do what you want to do and more than yeah. what you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. We're, so we fascinating. We spent a lot of time interviewing breweries because you know there there are all kinds of different models. So Brooklyn Brewing did this, and um, originally they actually started contract brewing. It's called, um, but for lack of a better term, your contract brewing. You're you're working with another brewery to reproduce your recipe at their location, and they're making it there. On, on, in, in some way, shape, or form more efficiently than you so that you can go off and you can free up tank space for new projects, which is what we're really, you know, we want a sour beer. We want a fruit beer. We want to come up with products that aren't even beer. Um, and we just can't grow that fast. It's just too hard. But also, you know, we've had a lot of people that say we want to have access to your, to your beer in the grocery stores. Now that you offer cans, we can't make any more beer. So it's either we don't do that or we go off and we work with a trusted partner who we really respect to nail this recipe and make it there under our supervision and then send that out to more places. So at first, for many years, we were like, we would never do that. We'll never contract brew. But we were looking at it wrong. Like we, it was because we never hit our full potential to begin with. Right. And now that we feel that we, we have, we could always grow. But now we feel that we were, you know, we caught up to ourselves. We're like, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we take a brewery that has extra tanks, who has an amazing master brewer, use their place, you know? So – Myself and Greg have been working on that, and Cloudy is one of the candidates here. Tickle is another that I'll, I'll be showing you guys. But this the secret here is the fact that it was dry hopped more heavily than any of our other beers, and the hops weren't in the kettle. So the bitterness you don't get. So you should get nice, fruity, you know, tropical fruit aromas, um, a little bit of yeast funk in there because it's unfiltered, uh, but then also nice silky body from wheat and oats. This is this is delicious. This is incredible. Like and I think, like, I mean, uh, this is full disclosure. Dawn and I are not big IPA not fans. Oh, mean, really? And, but you like this? And because oh, of good. the fact good. that because of the fact that what happens is, for whatever reason, I think the bitterness for us is off-putting. But exactly, we yep. can we can share with you, and you know what our feeling is that we like we'll, we'll like juicy fruity IPAs. That this is exactly what we would drink if we were going to drink an IPA. This is this is good, delicious. Good. This is perfect. No, I'm yeah. really glad and then you, you enjoyed. Like you said, you, you you add the wheat to it, and that that's going to bring this this smoothness, this creaminess to it. Yeah, and the everyone has a different palate. You know, everybody has their drink, is what I say. You know, there there are a lot of people who don't drink beer at all. You know, um, there are a lot of people who don't drink alcohol at all. So I want to create a beverage for everyone. I really don't care what it is. I want you to enjoy it. Right. And um, and this was just. I think this is a really universal beer. This will get people who don't drink beer at all to like IPAs, in my opinion. So. I think you. I think you're spot on. 
I would tell you this is, if I'm going to start, if somebody's coming over my house or we say, you know what, I, I am the mood for an IPA a little bit. This is what I would bring to the table and say, listen, this is, I think, an IPA for everybody because you do get a little bit of the bitterness. You get the hoppiness of it. You sure. get, you're right. There's a lot of fruit in there, the tropical Glad fruit to, to it. Um, and I always say, look, IPAs to me are like, for, for, for cigar smokers, are like big, bold cigar smokiness. Yeah. That's to me that, that parallel that stands out. I may be more of a mellow cigar smoker. And, yeah, and, you don't want it to punch you in the face, you know? Right. <laughs> right. But every once in a while, we need to be punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and the cigars are a really good reference because you can smoke a cigar and it could just be – it could be, you know, deep flavored and smooth and robust um, or it could be really – it can assault your taste buds, you know what I mean? And some people really like that. Right. Some or It could also be very mellow um, and almost like you're, you know, smoking like flavored air. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I'm not a, I'm not an aficionado, but I could certainly appreciate comparisons between beer, wine, cigars, any craft really. Um, so I'm glad you guys nah, – This you is guys great. enjoy that one. All right. If you were to pick the next one and, and we were to do that, what would you pick? So um, the next oh, – you have to try the tipple parts, right? So – but what I'm going to do is – because um, I know we don't have the uh, you know all the time in the world. I'm going to pick a variation. No, of our because what's going to happen is people are going to hear this, and now they're going to come to Levante, and they're going to try all of these. And and and, and you make like seven thousand beers right now, anyway. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's it's. But you, you know, like, it's it's that one of the things. Listen to the podcast. You're going to hear about a couple of the beers that you produce, but you're going to have to come back and try them all. Yeah, I think that's great, and I mean, there it, it's a never ending adventure, really. So the the next it's a one never ending is, fermented adventure. Oh, see, I missed my opportunity there. Thank you. It is. It is. So the so tickle parts um, is I like to call Cloudy and Cumbersome's kind of big brother. It, it was our next New England IPA that you know we knew, at this point in time it wasn't an accident. We knew what New England IPAs were. We knew that we wanted to create a you know seven percent slightly sweet uh, you know nice you know nice rounded body, but lots of hop tr- fruity tropical hop flavor. So. Cloudy and Cumbersome, just for our hop heads, was Idaho 7 and Mosaic. This one is Citrus Simcoe Mosaic, right? I, sh- I think I probably got that wrong. Because this is the, this is the yes. Uh, so Mosaic, Citrus, Simcoe, this has cryo hops in it. Totally different story, right? So our tickle parts, Citrus, Simcoe, Mosaic. This one, we take out the Simcoe and we put in Simcoe cryo hops. Totally different thing. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But tickle parts... Uh, my favorite IP. How do you come up with the name? I'm just curious. How do you? I, know, I, I knew you were going to ask that. Uh, so actually, the the story for this one is uh, it was really uneventful day, other than the fact that I finally got a day to go for a bike ride on the Schuylkill Trail. Okay. I'm listening to music on my phone, and uh, this EDM song comes on uh, by Otibans called Tickle Parts. It's very. Uh, you have to look it up. It's, it's a very you know weird eclectic electronic dance song, and I was like. I kind of like this song. What's it called? I looked down and it's called Tickle Parts. And I had a little giggle. And, you know, what do you think about? Who knows what you think about when you when, when you see the word tickle, word tickle Parts? It could be, you know, innocent. It could be a little bit risque. But I thought about that and I was like, you know what? This is fun. And I want to brew a beer that is fun. And so at the time, we were trying to figure out how do we take the Cloudy and Cumbersome recipe, change it, make it a totally different New England IPA. And I was like, well, that sounds like fun. Let's match it up with the name Tickle Parts. And Greg really – this is – this is uh, it was my name baby. It was his recipe baby. So he introduced um, not only that combination of hops, which is super important because we talk about when you add one hop to something, you get that single hop flavor. When you add two, you start to – 
taste both hops working together. When you add three, it's not one plus one plus one. It's like one plus two plus six because you get these synergies between the hops that now create different flavors and aromas. And that's what's so important about these beers. Cloudy and Cumbersome was like Gen 1 for us. It was Idaho 7 Mosaic. Those, How those hops danced together was beautiful. Tickle parts, let me let you try it. Okay, I love the buildup. Uh, I, lo- I, like yeah, so, I love the buildup to this. This is awesome. To me, these these hops work exceptionally well together. And the thing is, this, what I'm pouring for you right now, is extra tickle. So that just means we took the dry hops in the fermenter. We, you found more tickle parts than it, you, we didn't found, know you yeah, had before. We added more ticklish parts. <laughs> um, we just doubled it. So DDH or double dry hops. For us, that's what it means. Uh, for different breweries, it means different things. But uh, we doubled the dry hop, and here's what you get. So I have a problem with this. What's the problem? It doesn't <laughs> taste like I was expecting an IPA to be. That's the whole thing. You know, it's the, the difference. Again, if you were to say this is on the menu and I'm, I'm selecting and, and Dawn and I have our, our where we go for what we're looking for when we go to breweries to drink. Yeah. We tend to – unless we sit down and we, we talk to the, the, the person that's pouring the tap and we kind of give them an idea what we, what we would like and, and rather have, I would say I would have missed this. Because I would have just said, "Oh, it's an IPA," or or especially with the extra, extra hoppy. Yeah, it's it's not. That is the cool thing about this style. The bitterness... so it's a good problem, by the way. It's not yeah, a good, good, good. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and you know, it's not for everybody. But if you like tropical fruit, it is. You know, <laughs> so and I think a lot of people. I think do. that's <laughs> what stands out first, and then you get you do get the hoppiness. You get the different. Um, the different florals and, 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 and things that come out afterwards. That's You get the hoppy on the, the palate. It sits there. But I don't feel like it's so bitter that I, I just have to like put mouthwash. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> the, what's tough about these is to pick, you know, you guys you know, may be familiar with IBUs or international bitterness units. Um, the bitterness level of the beer, let's say, it goes higher than 100, but let's say it's between 0 and 100. The IBU level on the Cloudy and Cumbersome is in the 30s, right? And the uh, tickle parts, I don't know what extra tickle is to be honest, but uh, tickle parts is, you know, around high 40s. So it's not that much higher. Um, and it also depends. You might get a batch of hops. Craft brewing is not an exact science. You know, you might get a batch of hops this year that's got more alpha acids in them and makes it more bitter. Um, so we try to keep them between, you know, that 40 and 50 range. And that's low, actually, comparably to the IPAs that you might, the West Coast IPAs that were, you know, in the 70s through 100 plus. Right. So it's a very different animal. It's not, when you think about a West Coast IPA and you think about a New England IPA, there's really no similarities except for the fact that there are hops in them, uh, in my opinion. So that's, I think, like you said, when you read a menu and you're like, well, that's extra tickle as uh, a double dry hopped IPA, that's probably, if I don't like IPAs, that's going to be disgusting. Um, but, but this is not disgusting yeah, right? <laughs> so, by any means. It really glad, is. This is delicious. It never gets old, you know, having people try these beers and seeing what they think about them and hearing about, like, their background, what their preferences. Because this is what it's all about. What do you prefer to drink? You know, I'm, I, my goal is to find something that you enjoy and makes you happy. That's all. You um, know, and, and, and again, the bitterness to me comes out. You get that fruit. It's almost like you're getting a little bit of the rind. Like a citrus rind versus the bitterness of the hops that comes out. And then just the floral notes of the hops, it just kind of finishes it off. I love that about IPAs in general, I think. But you, I think you can – it's not as masked by bitterness in this. You know, the hop 
is an amazing plant. It's an amazing flower. And that lupulin in, you know, in the hop, that, the active ingredient that gives you this flavor and aroma, that has a pithy, citrusy um, mouthfeel, a puckery feel to it. Um, but if you're assaulting your taste buds with bitterness, you don't really get to taste that. You know? So, yeah, like you said, maybe a little lime zest in there, or, um, but it's subtle. It is. It really is. So if we were to try one more, because we could do all the beers you have, or you got you got seltzers there too, and it's kind of piqued my curiosity. So um, I'll give you. Well, you guys, it's your show, your choice. We have cloudy and cumbersome with the added that's double dry hopped okay. and with tangerine. All and, right. Um, so and that is just pure tangerine puree. I'm gonna let Dawn pick. <laughs> well, I'm not a seltzer person, so I would. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go for it. And uh, so what I'll do is I can I want to send you home with these seltzers and see what you think. Okay. Um, and if you have time, I'll crack one and we'll just drink it casually. Um, but I'd like to see your take, especially because you said that. I feel like now I need to ask you to taste it and tell me what you think. Right now, you can. Pomegranate really sounds good. Okay. Good. Good. Let's well, let's try it. And I'm, I'm I am a maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but I want to see. I want, to, I want to challenge, you know what I mean? I love a challenge. <laughs> you know, as, we, as, as we're doing this one, you know, we're coming through COVID. Talk about what is in the future for Levante. What, what is in your plan? What can the consumer expect? Is your, you know, right now, you have outdoor availability, but your tasting room is open or is it only open for pickup? And how's that working for you? Yeah, so uh, so in Westchester, we have a rather small facility. It's also, also the facility that all of our fulfillment, production, office personnel are. So what we decided is to – really tiny tasting room, really not responsible to open that up and, you know – pack it out like we used to uh so we decided and we have a small outdoor area um as well but our capacity would maybe be yeah given 25 percent 10 people of what you could do max you right. know yeah so to us it's just not the experience for the customer that that you constantly look at all they're too close or there's only 10 people in here it's dead it's just not going to be the right experience so we decided to keep that curbside only you can order online at levantebrewing.com um, and we're, all, we're also working on capabilities so that, like, if you're not really, you know, technologically savvy or just don't want to order online, you can come and you can buy and it'll be, you know, nowhere low touch as well. So uh, we're, we're looking at opening that back up. But just curbside here in Westchester. But we did open and subsequently closed uh, temporarily a um, beautiful beer garden in Chester Springs called Levante Stables. So it's an old uh, 19th century uh, farmhouse and farmhouse and stables and barn and it's a huge property i mean it's it's i think like thirty four thousand square feet of drinking space indoor and outdoor um, and we had opened up the first phase which was uh the downstairs stable portion where the it used to be a cattle barn where the cattle were we converted that into drinking space in a bar um, and it's got like really cool beams that haven't been plain they still have the bark on them a lot a lot of character and like 32 taps so lots of good stuff and we are working on getting our outdoor seating for uh, for the fall, uh, hopefully this September, um, opened up so that people can come and not only do curbside there, but also come and you know enjoy the outdoor beer garden, have plenty of space. Yeah, I around. saw that open up and then it sadly it closed. Oh my gosh, it's just yeah. it's just depressing. Uh, but yeah, so what we did was internally we wanted to focus on shifting so we could continue to exist um, and be strong. And then we also monitored the situation. And just as we were planning to reopen the stables, we we're, we're, we had a phase reopening. We were going to do curbside outdoor seating inside um the whole covid situation spiked again so we were like you know what that's a sign 
let's just wait until things, you know, we figure out what's going on with schools. We figure out what's going on with our customers. Let's survey people and see if they're comfortable coming out. Um, it's certainly not something that we want to just put all this effort into opening and then create an unsafe environment for people. But also right. – Then you bring back people. You order you, – you bring back supplies and then you're stuck with all that inventory in the shelves. People don't think about that. If you yeah, open yeah. up a restaurant, you open up a brewery, you open up you, – you get back in, 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 in open mode. You've got to have all this purchase. You've got to have everything on the shelves. Tell me about and it. And then to have them close it down. Well, beer doesn't last forever. You exactly. Know, I mean, yeah. So you don't want to lose that inventory. You don't want to have a whole bunch of you know plasticware, glassware just sitting on the shelves, shelves tying up you know money or resources. Yeah, and you have everything from you know it is a it is a complicated business. You have to hire people back, and then what you're going to lay them off again right. when it when what they did was you know what the government did was you know scale back our uh, ability to have people to twenty five percent. Luckily, there's a lot of outdoor space here, but. In the end, you don't know what's going to happen. So um, we don't, I, I we don't want to play with people's lives. Yeah, I love the prudent, focused – I mean, you're a planner. I mean, I get that right off the bat. I try. I'm a little disorganized. but <laughs> I, don't, I don't see it, but wherever that is, maybe Amanda can bring, she, she bring can back the that. curtain to tell us. Um, the question – you also have a spot in Ardmore? Oh, yes. So no, Thank you for mentioning. So we have been planning a uh, another – facility, taproom facility uh, that would also include food in Ardmore for quite some time, over a year now. And um, right when we were ready to start construction on that, the COVID crisis hit, of course, messed up everyone's life. <laughs> but uh, what we were lucky to do is we've, we have a really cool property there that eventually will be um, a 3,800 square foot um, uh, beer garden with food, you know, in, indoor outdoor beer garden with food. And right now we're going to do curbside only there, uh, hopefully starting in September again, okay. early September. So you'll be able to, if you live on the main line or the city or out that direction, you'll have, you know, more direct access to our special releases. Uh, we may be even doing some local delivery from there so that, you know, we can just pop out from the, pop out from the tap room there and drop some beer off at your door. So uh, definitely stay tuned. We'll be all of our social media at Levante Brewing. We'll be putting up, uh, announcements about that. I think someone blew the whistle on us recently. Brewers in PA, they found out that we applied for a license there. So, uh, they, but obviously that's good. Good that they're letting hey, people know. Hey, it's good now. PR. I yeah, mean, yeah. Look, and, and Ardmore's a great spot for, for beer. I mean, Tired Hands and you, you've got those folks there that are doing some great work. Yes. You're oh only going to be an amazing, you know, partner in, in, in bringing up, you know, the, the, the consumption of beer and, and, and enjoyment of beer in, in that area. Um, yeah. I haven't tasted this, but the nose on it, I get the tangerine right away. So that's there. You like it? I don't even taste the hops in this, really. I mean, I can smell it, but I don't taste it. Tangerine is such a cool fruit. It, to me, it's a little, like, funky. Um, it's got, it's, you know, it's not an orange, you know what I mean? But it is an orange. <laughs> so it's like, um, but I, th I think it's cool. Tangerine is definitely, like, it's sweet. It's got a little bit, uh, maybe funky is not the right word. Apricot is funky. Tangerine is just sweet and... Delectable. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like misting up, and <laughs> and I feel this emotional sense because whatever you're doing in terms of the world of IPAs, it, it, you you've, you're changing my mind. I'm you're glad that's that's my whole, mission. I want to mess up your whole limit, you're, yeah, you're, your whole plan. <laughs> you, you messed up my plan, Tim. Good, you good. really did. Good. Um, I don't get. We've had three IPAs now, and I don't get. These overwhelming, like we talked about, punch you in the face IPAs, but I get a lot of different flavor, layers of flavors, different experiences yeah. as I as I drink this. And and again, I use the word delicious, but this is delicious. 
right? Thank you. I'm yeah. honored. Uh, it's, so it stop is, that. Stop screwing with me, man. I can't. I can't stop. It's an art. I can't stop. <laughs> no, I mean, fiber. I think. I think the first time I met Rich, you guys were brewing the peanut butter and jelly. Oh yeah, that was awesome. I mean, it was like that was great, and, and just some different things. Well, I should have brought you back a stout. Uh, I figured it was a little hot today, so I just go with Free all the. the yeah. yeah, well, I'll send you home with some. <laughs> we, we still have some stouts. This is again. I, so here's the thing: if you're in Pennsylvania, you ship to everywhere in Pennsylvania. We do ship to everywhere in Pennsylvania. Yep. So if anybody is, you know, anybody within the Pennsylvania earshot of what the podcast is, get on your website. And, and start ordering some beer from you and, and trying yeah. some beers that you're not going to get in your local area. Exactly. And you'll uh, – so there are other ways to get it. Uh, Tavor, uh, T-A-V-O-U-R, is a beer shipping um, service that operates outside of the state of Pe- – well, they're in PA. They don't carry our beer here. But uh, in other states, I think it's 27 states, they do. And very typically, you'll find some of our IPAs and other offerings. So on the there. beauty of this, if you're in Wyoming, if that's one of the 27. Yeah, I believe yeah. – I'm just throwing it out there. Wyoming Something, doesn't yeah. get enough credit, <laughs> so we'll throw it out to Wyoming. We'll give it to Wyoming. Um, Shout out. No, but seriously, <laughs> if, if, if you're in the – you know in the United States and maybe you sent to Hawaii I don't know um, but you know I got some friends in Alaska maybe yeah, they shipped to Alaska so I've, see, I've seen get our beer there more and, and really try something different maybe you're not getting in your home area um, and, and really get a different experience I see yeah. why you chose the name Levante why? because basically you rise up and you create a new level from just what everybody's been doing this has been awesome. We were I successful. Mean, can I tell you? I mean, like, like COVID, COVID kind of we put, put the point across. We 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 we've been kind of working through COVID to try to get a sense and opportunity to sit down and talk. Yeah, I it's did, been tough. I'm sorry. It's, no, no, no. It's it's life. It's just the way. It's like you and you plan and you say, listen, Don and I have sat down. How do we do this? How do we make this happen? Because this is what we love. This is our fermented adventure. But this this experience has been awesome and. I look forward to hearing Glad. more great things that you're doing and uh, what Levante's doing. Um, and, and, and thank you to you and your team for just your passion, your connection to detail, and wanting to really create an experience for the customer that is important. Because if you say, look, if I'm going to drink it, we want them to enjoy it. We want them to enjoy the experience. Yeah. And that's what you're doing here. Oh, thank you. We, we're just being ourselves. We're trying to be ourselves anyhow. And, and you know, people recognizing and realizing that uh, that's a good thing. We need more of that, right? So uh, we just love what we do and we love sharing it with people. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. Us. Grateful yeah. that we had some time to sit down and talk to you. Look forward to hearing. I said, well, I can't wait to hear more of what you're doing, special releases, all those things. And when we get back to more of the, you know, sense where we can sit down and, and have friends around us and, you know, share the beers together in the tap room and do flights and all that stuff. Looking forward to that too. Yeah. Well, maybe next time, uh, just as an idea, if you guys want to come out to uh, Chester Springs to the beer garden, we yeah, can set the big up a great opening. The, yeah. 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 And even, even if it's not quite there, yet or whatever we could uh we can enjoy some beers on the property there and uh it's a really different experience so but yeah thank you so much for coming i love it thanks tim